to the 19th episode of My Bloody Podcast, a place where some informed horror fans discuss what's going on in the world of horror and entertainment. I am Preston Barta, and I'm joined, as always, by the very grease of the strangler and best villain award winner, Brian Kluger, for his outstanding short film, Sugar. Thank you for joining us, as always. Thank you, thank you. It's Great to be the grease of the strangler and the strangler of the grease again in episode 19. Oh my goodness. Um, and yes, best villain. Uh, this, this short film, Sugar, won three awards. One of them was best villain by me. I beat out the actor Chuck Zito, by the way. Very, very happy about that. <laughs> um, very excited. Well, it's yeah. most deserving because you, you play a very good silent villain that has one one line in the film. Well, thank you. And some really good facial expressions. Well, thank you. I, I, I tried. <laughs> ah, so, yeah, this is good. And you got – I'm going to go as you for Halloween because of – you tucking in your shirt with the belt. It looked pretty fancy. <laughs> Taking you back to your Husky modeling days. I know. I drew all that inspiration from the Husky JCPenney catalog and, and use it all there. And I even pulled my pockets out. I just, I was basically in that movie was trying to go for like a really sadistic Milton from Office Space. <laughs> I don't know if that came across. But, uh... Yeah, it did. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, that's cool. good. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. Well, uh, we have a very special guest on tonight that we, we've wanted on the show for some time now. She's she's the the very busy, the multi talented Gwen Reyes. Thank you for joining us this week, Gwen. Woo woo! Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I'm so excited that you're on. It's been it's been too long since you and I have talked on a podcast. Yeah, it's been a long time, guys, but I am so thankful and just very grateful that you invited me into your boys' club tonight because you're two of my dudes, so I'm really excited. Oh. Well, thank you. Us thank too. you for joining us. This is the boys' and girls' club, you know. We, we, we like all sorts of people. Excellent. Good. I'm glad I, I'm glad I fit in. <laughs> yes. Good deal. Good deal. Well, should we go into some horror news? Yeah, we got horror news. Um, we, we, I, I'm just excited. I can't believe we're one podcast away from number 20, but this 19th episode is going to be awesome. But I know there's just like tons of news, right? Just like crazy amounts of weird horror stuff, right? What, what's first on the list? Oh, I guess before we get into it, we should probably mention what we're talking about this week, which is 1996's Scream. Just the original film, but we will get to that momentarily. But, yeah, some horrific news. So, um, yeah, there's a lot that's out this week, and the one that caught my eye the most was this news story about a bear breaking into the Overlook Hotel, which is a.k.a. the the Stanley Hotel in Colorado. And I, 
found this so funny because you you know Brian and I have joked previously on the podcast about the the bear fellatial scene fellatio scene in The Shining, and I just thought this was so hilarious that this actually kind of happened, minus the fellatial part. <laughs> well, we don't know as far sure. as we know. Yeah, you think it was its own legend? Was it inspired to come because it watched like an episode last night and had like a bunch of fun uh, mushrooms and decided to go into the Overlook Hotel and just see what see what's what? Probably. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. No, this is like cool because. That's a crazy story. Like, do you even know how the bear got in there? I have so many questions about this. So, uh. Did, did, did but did. The bear, like, it's in the middle of like nowhere in Colorado. So I guess this is the bear. You you've seen it in movies like bears just wander in in places like Canada or Colorado. And I imagine it just like walked in. And if I was in the Shining Hotel and I was already scared that it was the Shining Hotel and the bear walked in, I think I would leave. I, or I would probably be yeah. excited. I don't know. I would leave. Fight or flight. My flight tendencies would kick in. <laughs> I think I would be like Timothy Treadwell yep. from Grizzly Man and just be yelling, that's a big bear. That's a big bear. <laughs> big bear chase me from great outdoors. But yeah, that's a, that's, that's yeah. a crazy, crazy story. I'm glad nobody was hurt, but they, they, yeah, the, the, the employees had to have fun with that kind of happening after nobody was hurt type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Thankfully, there were no guests in the lobby at the time it happened. But but they just said that because it's you know in the Rocky Mountains, that the hotel is located next to the national park, and so it's pretty common that a bear will pop up around the area. But just kind of extra special that somehow the bear managed to get inside the hotel. It's a clever girl, I guess. <laughs> clever girl. Bears are crazy. We learned that during watching The Revenant. You know, don't mess up. Oh, yeah. Leo DiCaprio won an Oscar for that movie, and he got raped by a bear. He didn't get raped by the bear. He just got, like, assaulted by the bear. (laughs) Yeah, I guess there's just, uh, there's a fine line, really. (laughs) There was, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He finally got his Oscar due to a bear. I like it. Yep. So, what else? What what else on this list besides the bear and the Overlook Hotel? Which the Shining, I this feel like is coming to life right now. So, in true fashion. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess a nice little segue would be Mike Flanagan, who is directing the sequel to the Shining, Doctor Sleep that we've talked about previously. Uh, he's also involved in a Netflix series uh, that's coming out later this year uh, titled The Haunting of Hill House, not the haunt, the house on Haunted Hill, The Haunting of Hill House. And uh, it'll bring back a couple of uh, familiar faces, especially for Michael Mike Flanagan's work. If you saw his film that he did last year, uh, Gerald's Game, it starred uh, uh, Carla Giacchino and so she and Edward or Henry Thomas. And so both, I think both stars are returning or maybe it's just Carla Giacchino, but it also has, 
Gwen's actually talked to this guy before, Michael. Is that Michael Hausman? Yes, or Mikael Hausman. Yes, Mikael. It is Mikael. I've talked to him, too. He was a good, he was a cool dude. He he was a good interview. He's so dreamy, (laughs) even when he's going to be playing some sort of weird psycho whatever. We don't know what's going to happen. Have you guys seen the original Haunting of Hill House? Yes. I have not. I haven't either. I like it. It's good. We'll see what. Do you think it's going to lend itself to be a good series versus just being a film? No, I think it'll kind of be a a cool series, um, just because I think there's a lot to explore. Um, you know, being a family living in a haunted house that we've seen like in The Conjuring, you only get like what two hours with them, and here you'll probably get way more than that, and it'll just be kind of cool to see how it builds up and like climactic wise and you get to really be with the characters for a long period of time. I think that'll be pretty cool. And maybe even, you know, dive into why the house is haunted, but they've released some images online of the series and they made the images kind of look like reminiscent of the time. Like they could, they're kind of faded and stuff like that, but there's like, yeah, yeah. They're super cool. Um, and, they they're they're pretty creepy because it shows the family you know having a good time around the house, but then there's like these like ghastly and sadistic apparitions kind of hidden in there, and ooh, it's good. I like I'm excited for this. Me too. Yeah, this is uh, I mean, same guy who did like Ouija, Origin of Evil, and Gerald's Game. It's just kind of, it's kind of cool that he's involved in this and it that proves that he kind of like knows his way around the horror genre. And, uh, this, this is, this, this looks fun and I'm, I'm all in for horror. Now, now Gwen, are you, are you kind of scared when it comes to horror or like kind of ghostly type movies? Because myself ghosts do kind of scare me, but it's like the demon shit and like the, the, the Ouija board stuff that like really like, terrifies me and i love it i love being terrified and scared so i think this would kind of be a version of both i think or i hope at least but what about you yeah i um i am very i love horror films hence why i'm here um but i I do find the scarier ones or the ghosts or the apparition ones like so this movie, this one's already a little nerve wracking for me, but I like that feeling too. Like I kind of love that knot that you get in your stomach when you can't see the bad or the villain or the evil that's going there. The demons don't really bother me. It's like possession stuff. I'm kind of like, I find that part of a lot of the ghosts in movies to be really cheesy. Um, reasons I thought like paranormal activity works really well for me is because it just seems so possible. Um, and so this one's another one where it's like spooky and creepy and weird. And I'm like, I'm, I'm on board. I'm very fascinated to see. I'm curious, like a, a whole series and continue those scare entire time mm-hmm. where you, you know, you, you have a 90 minutes or an hour and a half or two hours to kind of like make the scares happen. Whereas this is going to have to sustain scares for the entire eight episode, 10 episode run. Yeah. In different direct too, I think. Yeah. Mike Flanagan's either kicking it off and doing a few or doing one, I'm not sure, but he has such a distinct style and he's very good with that type of horror that you know works well with uh, either ghosts and 
like he can just hold the shit a little bit and freak you out and always has something kind of going on in the background that makes it feel like there's more going on than just that simple jump scare. And now I wonder how, what the consistency, if there will be a consistency at all with, uh, you know, director to director. Yeah, for sure. Like how much that, it, I feel like that requires so much be planning. I'm very interested. It'll be, and it comes out what in October, right? Yeah. Uh, October 12th. Yep. Yeah. October 12th. I'm looking forward to it. Faux show. Mm-hmm. I will be watching this. Yeah. Yeah. A nice uh, character. You can watch that, and then you can watch American Horror Story. Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. That show's still on? Yeah. There's a new one coming out. Crazy. Last one. Crazy. American Horror Story and, and The Haunting of Hill House. Mm-hmm. My goodness. Lots of horror. Horror's big now. Showtime's coming in with their own horror anthology. So is stars. Everybody's everybody's gotten on that horror train. I wanna I wanna I they are, and I would like to think in my own mind that Ash vs. Evil Dead is responsible for that. Like everybody getting on the horror bandwagon. But I, that mm-hmm. could be just be me. I think you can I think you can uh, believe that that makes you feel better. <laughs> I'm believing it. <laughs> yep. Go ahead. It's all yours. All right. Good. Thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness. So haunting of Hill house, Netflix, October. Um, I think what is HBO, HBO, wait, wait, HBO true detective season three is actually coming out. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so the first, the first season of true detective with Matthew McConaughey and, um, oh God, what's his name? Woody. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson. Was beyond amazing, badass, just damn good. And then the second season came out and it just really wasn't that great. I remember watching it and I was like, I really want to like this. And I was, I watched every episode and I think I gave it more credit than it was due. It just wasn't good. So hopefully is season three supposed to be better. What's the casting? What's the tone? Who, what, what era does it take place in? What's the deal here? Do you know, Gwen, did you watch yeah. any so from what stuff? I, from what um, we've saw, they did a little uh, HBO release last last Sunday during the season finale of um, Sharp Objects. They released a sizzle reel with clips of all their upcoming shows, and they also released a, um, I think it was a 90-second trailer for the season of um, True Detective Season 3, and it's still done by Nick uh, Puzzolato, who did the first two seasons, um, and it stars Mahershala Ali from mm-hmm. Moonlight, who won the Oscar for Best Actor, right, for Moonlight? Yep. Um, he is going to be the main detective in this, and he is investigating a crime over three different I don't think it's three decades, but it's or it's obviously three decades, but it's different time periods within his career as a um, as a detective. So it starts with him first getting this case and then how this case has sort of haunted him for um, each of these pivotal uh, moments of his life. So it's like he's almost getting his own version of Moonlight. Kind of. Yeah. Right. I didn't even think about that, but that is very it's very much like that. And I think I'm sure it's it's very true detective. So I'm sure it's some weird sex crime. 
that that was big for the the first two seasons. Um, I don't know going to be going down the route of the first season where they had one director do all of it. Um, that's kind of why. I, I feel at least that the first season of True Detective works so well is because uh, Carrie Fukunaga is so amazing. And then in the second season, it's all, all over the place. And um, and not just visually, but also Nick is just kind of not the most focused writer. Um, but I'm, I'm curious. I'm interested to see. I really like Mahershala Ali. Um, and I am really, I think there's been a that True Detective has had enough time to breathe that people might be wanting back to see more episodes. Yeah. The makeup looks really good on the the teaser that I watched. Yeah, like for... when he's older, I was like, that is bananas. Like they didn't use just second casting. It just looks really good. Yeah. Which was a nice thing in the first season, too, didn't you think, with um, with like Matthew McConaughey's uh, uh, look? Yeah. Yeah, they have good makeup artists on that. So we will we will see. I'm I um, am looking forward to it. There, Brian? Yeah, yeah. I will. Um, I'll give or take the the True Detective season three. Um, I'm was so upset with the second season, so I'm definitely going to watch it, the first episode. And we'll see where it goes from there. That's what I think. I really understand what you're saying, Brian, because I too thought the second season was pure garbage. But I feel like what was really detrimental to Nick is that I don't think he could write under pressure. Yeah. Um, and like with the success of the first season and the second season, like he had to write that season so fast that I think he just kind of shot himself in the foot, you know? And I think having had a few years to let it breathe, it's going to be, it's, it's kind of, I think it's good that you're keeping an open mind about it, but I think that it might be closer to the first season. Of the second season. Yeah. That seems to be a common trend nowadays. With, uh, Game of Thrones taking some time. Time to make sure that they iron out all the kinks and get the yeah. story where it needs to be so it doesn't have an issue like and even stranger things taking some more time so and fans are fans will wait so yeah. uh, sure. I'm sure it'll be good or yeah, at least better be. yeah for sure well cool uh, moving on um, so Halloween the movie story that same name is the first film from 1978 uh the 2008 version that's coming out this year is getting a novelization and um i thought this news bit was you know it's not anything out of the ordinary not particularly interesting but i did like the idea of like any of y'all read any novelizations of movies that are either coming out um, at all? Do, do you read any novelizations to movies? I I used to when I was younger. Like I remember reading mm-hmm. like Alien Three and you know all all these like really fun horror books actually and sci fi books back then of novelizations of the movies. But I haven't done that in so long. Um, but I'm curious with this one uh, to see if it literally is just like the movie or if they are actually going to have like. Uh, some of the deleted scenes are something different uh, from the what is shown in the theatrical cut. I'm very I'm curious about that. Yeah. What, what about Gwen? Gwen, do you read novelizations? Yeah. I know you read that. It's funny. I used to read a lot of them as a kid, too. Like, I read Buffy the Vampire Slayer novelizations and all the media spinoffs and tie-ins and everything. 
Um, and I read, like, I, I read a, a, a lot more when I was a kid when I couldn't go see the movie. So it was cool to go when I would go to the bookstore with my mom. I would pick up the book while she would and read the But, um, yeah, I haven't really read any since then. But I know that it's a huge market, and there's such a third hunger for it amongst readers who love to spend time with those characters. So that's interesting to see that they're doing. Um, there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I haven't read any in a long time. I think the ones that I did read were like star Wars ones, right. but um, I, this also makes me think, Gwen, have you ever been genuinely s- scared reading a novel? Because I can't really think of time reading in high school lot so much in have you ever heard by a novel reading it to the same degree that you have watching a film so i get more scared when i read horror than when i watch it and i oh, wow. think that that's because my imagination runs so much when i'm reading it uh-huh. whereas when i'm watching it if i get scared i feel like those are those are real people there's no such things as ghosts <laughs> Uh, but I also haven't read a lot of horror in a long time because it scares me. It makes me, I, I will read it at nighttime and I'll get scared and then I'll have nightmares and then I'll punch my dog in the face. And like, nobody wants that. <laughs> Cause I'll think it's like some sort of monster. And he's just like, I swear to go outside. So, um, no long, long version of that is no, I don't read them anymore. <laughs> and I do get scared a lot for reading books. This is actually audiobooks, though, too, because that, again, I'm wandering while someone's reading it to you. Wow. Are they, like, good narration? There could be good narration, and they could also be, like, what you're driving through. Like, my old drive, I used to have to go through, like, a lot of woodsy areas where I would always consider, like, excellent body-bearing locations. Huh. Um, so if I was listening to, like, a true, po- a true crime podcast or something, or thinking, oh, well, that's clearly where they buried those people. Um, and then that gets really freaky and then you get home and you think every sound is like a ghost or something. And it's probably just like a critter crawling on the roof. Yep. Well, cool. Uh, Brian, you probably know more about this than I do as you collect some Mondo animals, but going off of Halloween, Halloween three season, the witch Mondo will be releasing a vinyl of Halloween 3 and they released what the artwork looks like and what to expect on it and what the individual vinyl look like and so does this is it something that you're going to add so I actually have the original uh, release of Halloween 3 from Verez Saraband Um, but I will definitely Mm -hmm. own this one from Mondo, uh, because Halloween three gets a lot of shit and it shouldn't because it's such a, it's like the most, one of the most sadistic movies. And it's about, it's about a corporation like with robots and evil people that want to kill, um, kids on Halloween in a very gruesome way. Uh, but of course, like a lot of people didn't like it because it didn't have Mike Myers in it. Uh, but the soundtrack is really cool. It's really eerie and haunting. Uh, and of course, you know, the silver shamrock commercial, you know, have a happy Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. 
Silver Shamrock. Uh, it's just, it, it's very catchy. It's good. And I think the, the artwork is super cool. Uh, I think this is definitely because Halloween soundtracks, original ones, mind you, are very, very difficult to find, like pretty much almost non-existent. Uh, so I'm glad Mondo is kind of re-releasing these because they've done a few of them already. Mm-hmm. But Halloween 3 from Mondo is definitely one you'd want if you're into soundtracks on vinyl and uh, especially of the horror variety. You'll definitely want to have this. There are uh, 21 tracks total. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a little release, uh, in mid, late September, I believe of this year. And, uh, I can't recommend it enough cause I actually like listening to this. I actually have all of the Halloween soundtracks, original ones on vinyl. And I really like listening to this one a lot just because it's just so different than the rest of them. So yeah, definitely, de- definitely get this. Very cool. Uh, you probably also know a lot about this, this too, because I know you're a big fan of the original Pet Cemetery film. And we have talked about remake before on this podcast, but as of now, the you may remember the character Zelda from the original film. Zelda has been cast by Alyssa Brooke Levine, Levine. and. Um, I will. I'm going to tell you something about. I don't know this if you've character. looked at some of the pictures. Yeah. Okay. You know, no, it's 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 damn good. But I just have to say that that character Zelda from the original Pet Cemetery gave me nightmares for years, years. Yeah. Uh, she was good god terrifying, and I remember. I think it was like similar to like the Michael Jackson's Thriller video to me when I was super young. Like, I would, like, hide behind a wall mm-hmm. when he, like, turned into a were- cat, And it was, like, the same thing watching Pet Cemetery. I would, like, have to leave the room when Zelda came on and, like, come back because she was so horrifying. So this, I think this is going to be really cool to see again in this remake. And I'm very excited because uh, in real life, Alyssa is, like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. So. And in the original... It was played by male actor Andrew Hubasek. Mm-hmm. Which a lot, a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you said Hubastank. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking <laughs> when I read his name earlier. <laughs> this podcast like, is over. <laughs> uh. what it sounded like. Sounds like his name sounds like Hubastank. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god alright uh, our last bit of news to our question of the week uh, Brian you included one but Rock Dwayne the Rock Johnson his uh, well what we thought was a remake is no longer a remake it is a continuation or a whatever they, they're calling it these days, the spiritual sequel, the, the continuity of the original. But uh, that that's what's 
going to happen according to some of the producers of the film. Which, thank goodness, because I think The Rock came out on this recently, like in the, like in the last day or so, and said, yeah, we can't, I mean, we love the original so much, we don't want to, you know, fuck up the characters, you know, only one man can really play Jack Burton. It's like, well, this is going to be a sequel uh, set in the same universe, uh, and I guess The Rock will star, and hopefully they're going to get Kurt Russell to re-put, get Jack Burton again, but I'm excited for this, because... I'd imagine, I mean, even though it is, it is The Rock, you know, we love The Rock, but I hope they have fun with this because I really think John Carpenter had a vision for this movie and I hope they kind of keep that same feel from the first one to the sequel. And I think it's going to be fun. Thank God it's not like a straight remake because I cannot see The Rock playing Jack Burton at all. And I'm glad he's not. I'm glad he's not. Yeah. It'll be similar to um, what they did with uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, where it's not, it exists in that same universe, but it's still its own film. I imagine it's going to have the spirit of the original, but still take some chances of its own to be unique and funny and kind of fit in with uh, the type of comedy that audiences kind of lean towards today. Yeah. I hope. I, hope I imagine so. it'll, it'll yeah. be good. Yeah, Gwen, are you a big, big trouble? Are you a little big trouble in Little China fan, or a big, big trouble in Little China fan? So, um, oh God, you've never seen this movie, just like Breakfast Club all over I've again. Never, I've never seen Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> oh my God, I knew it as soon as you like. So I knew it. You you've seen yeah. more of Troma than you've seen John Carpenter. It's, we'll just put that Absolutely. out there. I need to tell you a John Carpenter movie I have seen. The thing. Wait, I saw the, the thing. I did. I, I did see the thing. Okay. Oh my goodness. That was the one up in Alaska, right? Like in the Arctic. All right. Yep. Yes. yes. Gwen has homework for the next month. She has to watch Big Trouble in Little China with uh, with a very young Kim Cattrall. <laughs> yes, and uh, uh, what's his face? Kurt Russell. Yes, Kurt Russell. And it there, there's tons of people in that movie. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully once you see it for the first time, which would be awesome for watching that movie for the first time with somebody. Oh, my God, I'm so excited that you get to watch this. You're, I think you're gonna like it. It's right up, right up Gwen's alley. Yeah, I do I like so. ridiculous things, so I feel like I'll like it. <laughs> Just saying. Excellent, excellent. And I have a list of movies. I have to see that. I have to see Step Brother. There's a lot. Preston, are you excited for this Big Trouble in Little China movie? Yeah. All right. Good, yeah, good, good. I love I love uh, Carpenter's work. I do, hugely. Very excited. And me and me and my best friend in high school used to watch one little in all time. It was either that or Fifth Element. So Gwen, <laughs> if you like Fifth Element, since I know you do, because we discussed when yep. had his uh, vinyl show back in the day. Uh, that it was, was on TV. Ruby Rod. <laughs> it's super fun. Super fun. Cool. All right. Well, 
so uh, my bloody question of the week. Um, I guess the the to kind of go along with Scream, even though the the question that's I guess most obvious would be what is your favorite scary movie, but that's <laughs> like the end it all kind of question. And uh, maybe we should get a little more creative with it. So this week we are going to do what is the best stabbing sequence in a movie that you've ever seen. Brian, would you like to kick it off? Sure, I'll kick it off. Um, so I'm just going to, like, a couple really come to mind. There's House of a Thousand Corpses where Baby uh, stabs her victim, like, multiple times and laughs. It's uh, excellent. Uh, and then a movie called Inside, which is kind of a pregnancy movie where somebody gets, like, kind of stabbed with scissors and it's all sorts of goodness. But one that always stuck with me... <laughs> um, so there's a movie from 1985, and it's not really horror, but it's called, and it stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it's called Commando. And it could be arguably one of the one of the more, more homoerotic movies of the 80s action type of movies. But there's the, the bad guy in that movie is named Bennett, and he wears leather pants and, like, a sleeveless shirt, chainmail vest, it, fingerless gloves, handlebar mustache the whole thing but he like he sta- he has one of his weapons is like a giant knife uh like crocodile dundee style and he like comes up behind people and he says uh lines um like like insane lines to these people that he stabs and arnold schwarzenegger in that movie commando kind of says like if you want to put the knife in me look me in the eyes when you do it and it's just oh it's amazing and it happens and (laughs) that always stuck with me with the stabbing scenes commando my final answer sir (laughs) i went weird with it i know i know (laughs) but gwen stabbing scene i can't wait to hear okay all right I'm gonna try to I'm just gonna try to pitch this one and let it be a stabbing scene. If I say it's a stabbing scene, it is one. Um, so I love the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer so much, and I've always loved the moment when um, Buffy stabs Paul Rubens's character, <laughs> and he has his prolonged death scene. And so, even though it's not a very cool, like, memorable stabbing per se it's a very memorable scene therefore it is my favorite stabbing sequence because he's still dying at the end of the credits in the movie too it's so good (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) i actually think that was brought up last week (laughs) oh how funny my bad oh no no i just i'm glad that i think that's been brought up several times that death scene and it's just it's damn good (laughs) <laughs> it's so good. It's good for everybody. Everybody loves that scene. Preston, yep. Preston, stabbing scene. You, sir. Okay, so mine is not fun at all. It is... I just got super excited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mine's not fun um, at all. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, one of the most disturbing, most uncomfortable scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And it's from 2007's Zodiac. And it's the Ooh, yes. park murders, if you remember. Yep. I've probably seen I've probably seen Zodiac maybe three times, and that scene is so David Fincher, uh, who directed the film, because it's just so 
out there and shows the moment without any cutting whatsoever. It's just like one shot. And what makes it so effective to me is there it's there's silence. There's complete silence, no score. Sound effects are amped up in the acting and how committed the actors are in this make it even more uncomfortable. So it occurs probably about the first third of the movie where the killer comes across a couple in a park and they're having a picnic and he ties them both up, lays them on their stomach, but, but tells them like, everything's going to be okay. Like everything seems like it's going to be okay. But until Zodiac goes on top of the man and of the and repeatedly stabs him and his girlfriend screaming and continues to scream until the Zodiac goes to her, moves and stabs her multiple times in the back before rolling her over on her side and stabbing her again in the stomach until she dies her boyfriend lips. They wanted to make sure. So, yep. And uh, so I, I just can't think of a more realistic stabbing sequence than probably uh, uh, up them in some private Ryan for how slow it happens. It just feels completely realistic. Like he almost, even the, even, I guess even the opening shot, opening stabbing sequence scream uh, where it just feels like the knife, you can just almost see the knife pierce the skin. And I think that's what makes it super uncomfortable when filmmakers have that ability to kind of pull that off without any uh, smoke and mirrors. Damn good. Damn good. I, I like those. Yeah. Cause you, even the sound of it, like going like the knife, the blade going into the flesh. Yeah. Yep. It kind of gives me the willies. <laughs> yep. Yep. What a great movie. Yes. Very good movie. We'll have to, we'll have to do that one sometime. For sure. Cool. All right. Uh, let's move on to my bloody recommendations. And since you are a guest this evening, uh, why don't you kick us off with your okay. bloody recommendation? Well, cool. Well, I um, am excited to recommend this movie uh, because we are talking about Scream today. It is my favorite. Not only is it my favorite horror film, it is also my favorite probably my top three favorite film of all time. So um, I watched a lot of Scream and I really sucked into the whole teen horror genre. Yeah, the teen horror genre that was very popular in the mid to late 90s. And so my recommendation um, for you after you go and watch Scream and Scream 2, which is far superior to Scream 1, um, I am recommending uh, I Know What You Did Last Summer because it is great and it's also really campy and also written by Kevin Williamson who wrote Scream um, but it stars uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr. in the role that introduces them to each other and then they later got married and had lots of babies um, and uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt is in it and she's ridiculous and the whole movie is just insane so um, watch it it still holds up it's still really campy and it's a good, fun time for a nice Saturday afternoon when you don't want to go out into the sunlight. 
I remember that movie vividly seeing in the theater, and I'm trying right now to remember Jennifer Hewitt's line when she's in the woods and she's just like screaming like to the sky. And I'm trying to remember uh, the line. Uh, what is she saying? What are you waiting for? Oh yeah, what are you waiting for? Oh. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, insane. Like there's a hook. There's some guy that's got one hand. He's able to like come in bathrooms and write on on mirrors with nobody noticing. I mean, it's a, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, I love that movie. It's so much fun. It's been so long since I've seen that too. Yes, yeah, watch it. <laughs> yeah, I have to add that to my queue because I haven't seen it probably since high school. Right <laughs> there, you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Brian. So, rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> I'm thinking of a number between one and fifty. <laughs> you are correct. You are correct. Um, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Um, okay. So, um, when I was a kid, the there was two movies that because um, I'm a youngin, I'm I'm only 28. So, oh, was one of the first horror movies I remember watching, and um, there was another film that I watched a lot. That's also a horror film that was a mainstream release and it's not as wildly popular as Scream but uh, it holds a dear place in my heart and I just watched it again a few days ago because it was re-released for its 20th anniversary this year by Kino Lorber and that is 1998's Deep Rising and that was directed by Stephen Sommers, who just a year later directed The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah. So this film stars Treat Williams, and uh, he he acts and almost looks – when I was a kid, I always got him and Kurt Russell and Harrison confused. They just seemed all like the same actor to me. Sure. I can see that. And – as I uh, found out, because I watched a lot of the extras for this, that's on the Kino Lorber disc, and uh, found out that Harrison Ford originally was going to be in the role, but he turned it down, and they downsized the budget. So they got Treat Williams, Famke Jensen, Kevin J. O'Connor. Kevin J. O'Connor's also in me. And uh, Wes Studi. And so this film is like... It's so it's it's uh, we've said in the past uh, the phrase kitchen sink. This is very much like everything in the kitchen sink. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Aliens, Poseidon Adventure, The Thing. Uh, we, Cole recommended last week Anaconda. It feels like that too because the giant squid thing that's the monster in the film um, has its tentacles that go up and through the ship and uh, very much feels like a combination between a snake, like an anaconda and something from like the thing. And so the film is about a group of heavily armed hijackers who board this big ocean liner ship and they're the South Pacific ocean. And uh, it's a bunch of, it's for a bunch of rich people. And so they're just enjoying themselves, partying on this uh, this biggest ship ever. And so these group of hijackers are going to the ship to rob it. And 
to the audience's surprise, like to, to their surprise to the characters, because we are, it's, there's a lot of parallel editing. Like we see what's going on ship and what's going on is that on the ship is that, you know, everybody on the boat is partying, having a good time. And then they cut to the control room where they can see, you know, the people saying, Oh, there's something approaching. Don't know what it is. It's coming. It's coming now. Boom. And then the ship, just like the Poseidon adventure, like a huge tidal wave hitting it, uh, just causes everybody to fall out of place and just end up at random, uh, opposite ends of whatever rooms they're in. And from there, just, just don't really know what's happening, what's going on. And, we slowly figure out through like individual scenes that some kind of monsters pierced its way into the ship and is killing everybody inside of it. Meanwhile, we cut to the people that are on the boat, which is treat Williams and Kevin J. O'Connor and uh, even Jaiman Hansu is in this very young. And so they're traveling to the ship to go rob it. And then when they get to the ship, it's kind of like the lost co- uh, colony. When they get there, they're so confused, like nobody's on the ship. Where the hell did they all go? And then they slowly find out that there is a monster aboard the ship. And the film, to today's standards, doesn't hold up as well as I remember it as a kid. It's still good and very entertaining, kind of like The Mummy, like the the, the first mummy, like just, you know, uh, it's, it, there, it's cheesy at times. Like there's, mm-hmm. there's really good comedy. And then there, the, the drama aspects of the film don't really work click as well as they used to when, you know, when I was 10, when this film came out or eight and, and the effects don't hold up as well either, but this was at a time when special effects were very expensive, you know, Jurassic Park and, you know, movies like Star Wars, like, raised the bar, but at the time it was too expensive. And so we would just find unique ways to kind of keep that horror and that uh, going in some way, kind of like Jaws, like where you don't see the shark until it matters most. And you don't see this squid giant octopus thing until the very end of the film. Um, and then when that happens, it kind of feels like the mummy too, when you see the rock and that looks terrible, like it is good at all. Uh, the, the actors are still fully committed. And what's also kind of cool about the film is that there are no heroes or heroines in the story. Like every single person on the boat is a bad person, including the captain who is like the biggest piece of shit out of all of them. He's, and uh it's just a it's just a good time and i uh like like i said watched it so much as a kid and i think it's not as enjoyable as it probably was in 1998 but it still holds up pretty well and um i think you should give it a watch so that is deep rising hell yeah deep rising good movie yeah i haven't seen it in forever so Great, great suggestion. Coo, coo, coo. Um, All right, so what zombie, alien, vampire thing are you going to pick this week? Neither, actually. (laughs) Going in a different direction here. Um, This movie came out in uh, 2015, and it's not – it's a fun-as-hell movie. 
Um, the movie is called Simply Stung. Stung, S-T-U-N-G. And is directed by Benny Diaz, who actually did the visual effects for the movie Mel- Melancholia, if you remember that film. Um, so Who could forget? Yeah, who could forget? So this movie, like, think back to older films that featured people getting attacked by animals and bugs. And not just normal bugs and animals. I'm talking about big, giant fucking bugs. Uh, Whether it be giant bees, rats, spiders, or something like that. That's basically what Stung is. But uh, that Benny Diaz made is an uh, homage to giant bug films with Stung. And this movie features giant wasps. Um, so this movie is low budget. It's a silly screenplay, but, uh, Benny Diaz, man, he knows how to use that camera and man, he milks it with all of the gory scenes. So basically the, the movie kind of takes place at this schmarmy slime ball uppity garden party. And there is, um, a caterer and a bartender, uh, and the housekeeper of the estate. And they're, they're kind of all cool people. Uh, they just don't want to be there, but they're, they're kind of cool people. And then uh, you get kind of like background of everybody in there, including the mayor in the film, Lance Henriksen, yo. Uh, so he's there, and all of a sudden, like midway through, all these wasps start coming out. And I'm talking about wasps that are like six feet tall, start stinging and killing people in gruesome ways. Spoiler, twist. Uh, when this wasps, these wasps sting you, um, it creates a host in your body, kind of like alien. And then a giant wasp exits your body, you know, six feet tall. It's so much fun. And so all these people kind of like, uh, kind of like take refuge in this mansion, but these wasps are just too damn big and too damn strong. They burst through windows and walls and kill people. It's a lot of fun. There's that's basically what the movie is. It is super Super gory, super fun, called Stung. I highly recommend it. The effects are actually really good. And if you like kind of like gooey guts and stuff, yes, yes, as Daniel Bryan would say, um, it's on Blu-ray. It comes with audio commentaries by the director and writer and producers, and then they have a good making of stuff and visual effects. Buy this Blu-ray if you're into that type of thing. I highly recommend Stung. It's a lot of fun. Do it. How's that for your zombie vampire thing? That's a very good alternative. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Are you going to see it, Gwen? I no, I don't like bugs. I'm out. Ah. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't love you and your crazy movie choices. It just means I don't like bugs. But do, do you like my dog bug? Of course. Okay, good. She's the best bug. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Is it main event time? Yes, main event. All right. Green. So, our main feature for this evening is 19... Scream. And it came out on December 20th, 1996. The film was... So, I guess that's five days before Christmas. So, the studio did this because during the holiday season, you know, you have the family-friendly films that you released in the studio wanted to give to the audience um, during a time when no horror movies would be out. Um, at the time, it opened at number four at the box office opening weekend with $6.4 million. 
which led the studio to believe that it was going to be another flop in the series of flops of horror films that have come out at the time. But uh, however, the film's good word of mouth is what led to its success at the box office. So with every week, it went up or stayed around the same place. And But by the end of its run, it ended up making over $100 million at the United States box office. So, And it spawned as three sequels. The second one, which came out the following year, um, and learned through the audio commentary that I watched last night that uh, Kevin Williams for the sequel at the end of his original script. And so after the movie did well, they immediately got into creating the second film, uh, uh, you know, flattened out that script and then made it. And the film stars, uh, the original that is, uh, stars uh, Nev Campbell, Skeet Ulrich, Matthew Lillard, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Rose McGowan, and Drew Barrymore in the opening scene of the film. So I would like to know, before we get into the bloody details of everything and what the film is actually about, when do you... What was what happened? Like, what? When did you first see the film? So I was definitely in the like January group of people that watched that movie that when it came out. Um, mm-hmm. My girlfriends and I would actually go for like pretty much every weekend that it was out at the theater and watch it. Like that was our Friday night party time. Was going to watch Scream <laughs> at the uh, Cinemark Tinseltown. And we did that for a very long time. I think I either saw it in the theaters five or six times. I can't remember. It It was that and Titanic were my two movies of that year that I watched a lot. Um, and so I just, yeah, it's just like always been such a favorite movie of mine. It's not a scary movie as much as it's just funny and entertaining and just really tight writing and gave me a love for the craft of a screenplay that I experienced until I... Um, saw this movie and actually I read the uh, scream novelization book speaking, going as a throwback Hmm. statement. I read that and I used to write scream fan fiction. So I was a big, big scream fan. (laughs) Do you have that with you right now? Cause I would love to hear this shit. I would love to hear this. It was on a, I I called my fan fiction on a floppy drive. Cause I thought that would be a great place for all of my writing before college and uh, as you can imagine, I lost it. <laughs> Damn it! Oh well, I like that. I like I like that you wrote fan fiction for Scream. I just like that you. Yeah, yeah. damn good. I like it. I also used to quote the opening scene to myself instead of counting sheep. That's what I would like <laughs> recite the entire opening scene of Scream to go to sleep. You're getting a glimpse into Gwen Ray's <laughs> mind and life, and. You just want to be a part of it now. It's like, I'm not <laughs> counting sheep. I'm reciting dialogue from Scream. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so I was I was 15 years old when this movie came out in theaters. And I think I saw it opening weekend. And this was kind of like, so it was like before I had my actual license. But I think my parents and my best friends at the time, parents were like, you know, like two permits equal a license type of thing. And the movie theater wasn't very far from the house. So we just kind of took ourselves illegally, basically. 
to see this movie, and I always looked like I was 40, or 40 years old when I was, like, 15, so I had no problem getting tickets to this movie. Um, <laughs> and I just, I, I loved it. I thought it was funny. And so, interestingly enough, you might not know this about me, but I'm a huge huge scene every episode multiple times of Beverly Hills 90210, the original show. And I feel like this is kind of like the horror version of Beverly Hills 90210, where it's like Gwen said, not scary, but goddamn funny. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, but I still love it. And I think Wes Craven kind of uh, reinvented the genre here. Uh, what about you, Press? Well, Press, and you, were you alive when this movie came out? Yeah, I was alive. Um, I was six when it came out. Your parents would be terrible if they let you watch it when it came out. Yeah, I know, because I just wrote this uh, piece on uh, Days to Confused, and I uh, this is just exclusive for those who listen to this podcast and read my stuff. Um, I kind of lied in my article saying that, uh, um, uh, that I, I watched... My, well, my dad first introduced me to the film when I was six. Like, I didn't watch it then, but I, I saw the movie on his shelf, and I would constantly, every day that I would go over to his work, look at the cover and just be like, Dad, can I watch this? And he'd be like, you're not old enough. And I just kept asking him and asking him. Finally, when I was nine, I was able to watch the film. Um, but I wrote in the article because I wanted to avoid, like, any flack uh, from commenters um, for my dad allowing me to watch this uh, very rated R movie uh, when I was nine years old. Uh, I said I was a teenager. <laughs> but uh, Scream was the, I you know, a lot of people say that, like, Friday the 13th is, like, some of the first horror movies that they remember watching. And I, I definitely remember watching that. But I, I think Scream is the first, quote-unquote, horror movie that I watched. Um, and... <clears throat> And the the way I watched it is probably pretty disturbing um, and not not a story that I enjoy telling. But, but um, so my cousin, uh, who's probably about 10 years older than I am, he was watching me um, one evening uh, while my parents went out for a date or something like that. And. My uh, my cousin was a very bad influence. Uh, like we, we would be uh, smoking like grass. Like he, we, we just not not like marijuana, but like like little grass. Like he like he just thought that was cool, and so he's trying to like pass off like all these like bad things to me feel cool and uh i would run to my parents and be like oh i was smoking with my cousin out in the in the woods and then he'd be like what um <laughs> so uh one evening uh he was watching scream so this probably i probably didn't actually watch the film until it was like it was on vhs so probably like 97 or so um and he was eating cereal and I was eating cereal because he wasn't going to make me anything. And so, uh, uh, he would tease me by acting like he was spitting in my cereal. Ew. And so, but he never actually did it. And I really did it to him and he never knew. And so he was watching scream and I was so pissed at him that I spit in his cereal and I was watching around the corner to see if he actually ate it and he ate it. But I was at, 
after I, you know, saw him actually eat the cereal, I started watching the movie. And then after he went to sleep, I stayed up and watched it by myself. So a very uh, random and long uh, story of how I watched it for the first time. But that's how I did it. You are hardcore. I love the idea of a very vindictive young Preston Barda. <laughs> yeah, just yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. right in his cereal like a giant fu. I love it, Preston. Yeah. It up for don't worry, I don't do that stuff any- anymore, so you don't have to worry about me spitting in your food. Allegedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better watch out. <laughs> anyway. Uh, Gwen, so this is since this is one of your favorite movies, why don't you uh, loosely describe what the plot is? Okay, so Scream takes place in 1996, a year following the death of Sydney Prescott, played by Nev Campbell, uh, the death of her mother. She's been reeling from it, super depressed, as you, you can imagine. Her mother was murdered in a really horrific way. Um, they have the alleged killer, killer in uh, prison, played by Liev Shriver in a non-speaking role, um, but a dreamy role, nonetheless. Yeah, he's the Ben Stiller in uh, Dumb and Dumber. It was, yes. like, on uh, that Hollywood Yeah, I think, like, Inside Edition or whatever. Some show yeah. that's um, there's played by Courtney Cox. And um, so, anyway, sorry. Sydney is, she knows she's quiet, but she's well-liked, and she has a boyfriend and a best friend and um, a brother, best friend's brother. She doesn't have a brother. She's single, or she's an only child with her father remaining. Um, And her dad goes away for the week, and all of her friends say that they should throw parties. But at the same time that these parties, that the end of school year party is going to go on, there's been a rash of murders going on. Kids from school getting hacked up piece by piece. Horrible horrible situation um and they find themselves one night at a party has been uh, uh not really sanctioned by anyone but the killer ghostface killer is super excited because he has a chance to kill everybody at this party um and nobody's really spared which is what i also love about it there's a very high body count in scream yeah and but I'm- indeed yeah but they're, but they're all like they're all people you don't really want to like enjoy in life really it's 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 kind well, I mean, of it's kind of like beverly hills 90210 they're all ridiculous <laughs> oh yeah they're all the worst people you got um uh rose mcgowan plays tatum who is sydney's best friend and she is a loud mouth and gets herself in trouble a lot um dewey her brother played david arquette um is so sweet and so loving and is just like the nicest older brother but he's like a a um, a deputy, right? Like a sheriff, a sheriff's deputy. Um, mm-hmm. So he is thinking himself the little crime fighter in this whole thing, but really he's just kind of in the way, unfortunately. And then um, Gail Weathers, again played by Courtney Cox, stops by this town. It's the one-year anniversary of his death. So she is investigating um, kind of like where the town is a year later um, because she wrote the tell-all book and did the uh, all about Sydney's mom and kind of put her kiss her backstory on blast because she was having an affair with um, with Sydney's boyfriend's father. So yeah, it's like a big. It is, yeah, it is. But 
Yeah, it, but it but it worked. Wes Craven made it work. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it is so creepy, right? Yeah, and, I, and you have to mm-hmm. think like one of the best opening, uh, best openings of a movie ever is probably what well, you could argue argue that Scream is because it's of how kind of terrifying it is. Mm-hmm. A movie within a movie. Yes. yes. Taught us all to never answer the phone ever. Yeah. And also that you shouldn't run upstairs. You should always run out of the house. Well, like, yeah. it, but it's crazy. Well, they even joke about that in the movie. Yeah, yeah that's they what do. I love. And do, do you think this movie breaks the fourth wall at all? I don't think it breaks the fourth wall by talking to anybody, but I definitely think it's self-aware. Yeah. Okay. Because they, they do all the horror tropes, uh, like Jamie Kennedy's character, and they talk about it all. Even Skeet and Matthew talk about it. But I think it, I, I like that. And I like... Yeah. Well, it's one of the first horror films to actually acknowledge that horror films do exist. Yeah. And, that and was I think that's movie. what makes it so I good. Remember, um, I wrote a paper about Scream in college during one of my film classes talking about that because this is a perfect example of when the genre becomes self-reflective and aware of itself. And so it's exactly what you said, Preston. It it was the first time in modern horror cinema that was reflecting and acknowledging the films that came before it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because often when you watch horror films, especially these days, um, because we're, I don't know, people are more vocal, it seems like, um, you know, they, we're, we're as an audience, we're working against the film. We're trying to pick it apart and say, no, don't go in there because we know that somebody's up there. Um, and so the film's really smart just because, uh, you know, you, Nev Campbell uh, has a, he's talking to, you know, everybody's talking to a, a, a creeper on this uh, in this film. And so she's talking about, you know, like, oh, no a big breasted woman running out always uh, run there right out the front door. And then what does uh, she do in that very scene? Well, to her credit, she actually tries to run out the front door, but block, but she ends up running upstairs. And so like even later on, uh, I guess getting into spoiler territory, but this has been out for 20 years, 22 years. Um, Jamie Kennedy has a scene where, you know, they're watching Halloween and he's describing, he's trying to educate everybody at the party, like, as to, like, what they should do. And he starts down the rules of of uh, how they should uh, defeat the killer. And, you know, they say, like, don't have sex, don't, you know, drink, that sort of thing. But then once everybody uh, leaves the party, he's there because he wants to, wants to stay there and the film and he's like commenting providing his own commentary track to the film saying like don't no look behind you look behind you and then what's behind him the ghost face is actually behind him so i think wes craven and even williamson they did a very good job of kind of playing along just kind of throwing in like audience's knowledge into the screenplay the sort of things that we've always kind of shouted at the screen, but it, it's never like brought up in a movie before. And they incorporate that in into a great effect. And so I guess that's why the film works best kind of as a comedy. It has like chilling moments, like j- good jump scares where, you know, like ghost, 
Ghostface would pop out and, you know, stab, attempt to stab the person hits the wall or, uh, as we alluded to in the opening scene, you know, you see, uh, Drew Barrymore's boyfriend's, uh, intestines, like, like he's completely gutted in the opening and that, you know, it's a, it's a moment that's pretty freaky, but, um, yeah, it uh, works really well as a comedy, and I think that's probably its single greatest strength as a film. Correct, and we have we have to bring up um, Rose McGowan's death scene, which is might want to be the most creative death scenes in a, up until that time for sure. Death by garage door, <laughs> which was there are some great death movies. That is for sure. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, that scene was great. Uh, I, it's fun, you know, going back and watching this, you know, some over 22 years later. It, it really, for the type of movie it is, it still holds up because, you know, there's the twist. There's, like, the comedy aspect. And, you know, there's a little, like, suspense here and there, like, of somebody lurking in the house, like, you don't know who or where they are. Um, but, yeah, it's it's, it's it, it holds up. It's especially that opening scene. Oh man, I just can't get enough of that. And I feel like that's like Drew Barrymore's like comeback role before she like became like top dog again. And then she went away. I don't know. I feel like it was a bit, it was sort of her return after doing uh, rehab and stuff. Yeah. And she was mm-hmm. great. It was really good. Um, did, you, did y'all, did y'all recognize the little cameo uh, scene in there by Wes Craven by Wes Craven? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, they were talking about that. I was listening to. And she, like, actually smacked him in the face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were found right in the face. Yeah. There's a lot of things that happen throughout the film, especially from Matthew Lillard's character and Jamie Kennedy, because, you know, they, they're more of the buffoons, uh, well, more so Matthew Lillard of, of the franchise. And so they... Uh, they, they ad-libbed a lot and even like some of the, the probably my favorite line out of the entire film is when uh, Matthew Willard says, you know, he gets my, he says, uh, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. And then later he gets like smacked in the face by Ski Ulrich. And uh, that was a real reaction. And so Wes Craven left it in the film. And there's like also a lot of, References to other horror films uh, all throughout, uh, even outside of, uh, you know, the obvious ones that uh, Jamie Kennedy talks about. But like uh, at at some point they they reference uh, Loomis. And so that can go to Halloween and then in Psycho. And uh, there's there's a scene where there's a janitor in the school. And he's wearing the yeah, Freddy, Freddy. Krueger sweater and the Freddy Krueger hat. Yep. And one of the, I can't remember if it was a protester or one of the uh, reporters was um, Voorhees, wasn't it? Voorhees? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Those cool cameos and all the. Was, wasn't that Wes that was wearing the Freddy Krueger sweater? I think so. I think what, that was Wes Craven, yes. Yep. So good. So, yeah. So good. And- you know, learn rules. I like that film because we learn a lot of rules in it. We have to, 
everyone's a suspect, don't have sex, don't do anything stupid, or you'll die. Don't say I'll be right back. Yeah. I'll be right back. Liver. See you alone. in the kitchen with a knife. So much yeah. fun. The, the, this this movie. Uh, and like like you said, like there's a TV series about it now, and there it, there's sequels galore with tons of people, and they even spoofed it with um, oh scary, scary movie, uh, which was the original title of Scream. Yes, yeah, called Scary Movie, and uh, they basically they made like four of those movies too, or even more than Scream movies. There might be more, but yeah, they. Great film, and like you know, the the soundtrack's great because it has like Blue Oyster Cult on it, which is excellent. Alice Cooper, and of course Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, Red Right Hand, just damn good soundtrack too. Very very impressive. Yeah. There were actual multiple versions of the soundtrack. Um, there was a part two, and uh, I I yeah, their soundtrack is so good. It's funny, uh, when I watched it a few nights ago, uh, my wife, Haley, watched it with me, too, because it's one of her favorite horror movies, too. But our movie together is uh, Dumb and Dumber. Um, that, that's the movie that we've brought up in, our, in each other's vows. And so they're one of the so- one of the songs that's in the soundtrack is from Dumb and Dumber. So time that song comes on, and it's probably like two or three times that it happens in stream. I have to reference the scene that it happens in in um, Dumb and Dumber, which is when uh, Lloyd is getting a Rhode Island uh, nudie mag out of the machine and then has the run-in with the little old lady on the motorized cart. And so mm-hmm. it's hard to take it. You, you should take Scream seriously, but I guess it adds another layer of comedy for us personally. <laughs> I didn't even see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> uh, damn good. Love that movie. Please watch it again if you haven't. In uh, I don't know. Remember, uh, let us know if you watch it again because <laughs> it's worth your time. Mm-hmm. As is the sequel in the third one. And the fourth one. I don't really like the fourth. I haven't actually. I own the fourth one, but I haven't watched it since theaters. Ah, okay. Yeah, I haven't either, and I don't want to. I remember being very mad. Although I did like Emma Roberts in it, I thought she was very good. She was. She's well suited for that character. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Does that wrap up our our Scream podcast? Our 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 nineteenth podcast. Mm-hmm. Oh yep. my goodness! Scream. Next thing you know, it'll be the night podcast. I know. It's so fast, guys. Crazy, Gwen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, it was, was a lot of fun. Yes, we're going to have you on again. But I think Preston, we have something in plan for next week, right? Yes. Um... You've seen this. I have not. I plan to watch it this week, but it's, uh, uh, is it called, uh, Surf Nazis Must Die? Correct. Oh, yes. Awesome. So, uh, yeah, nothing about, or going, or going from something that's so mainstream that everybody's heard up to something that's like, what? 
Um, <laughs> but uh, I guess that's that's the fun of this show. We'll do the stuff you know, the stuff you don't know, and the very very weird. Apparently, yes, yes. Surf Nazis must die, preceded by Scream. Both both good movies in their own right. Can't wait for next week. It is our 20th episode. We've been here 20 podcasts almost. I'm very excited about this. Um, Gwen, where can everybody find you and talk to you and send you photos of all sorts of things? Oh, man. Please do. <laughs> and uh, Twitter and Instagram by using Real Vixen, R-E-E-L, like the movie Real Vixen. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. And, uh, yeah, and you can visit freshfiction.com um, and freshfiction.tv to read more of our stuff that we write. Hell, yeah. It's an awesome site. I go there. It's bookmarked on my my devices. So oh. I like it. It is. It is true. That That's, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, Preston, whereabouts can I send you my little doodles and diddles? Well, you can tweet me at Preston, P-R-E-S-T-O-N, Barta, B-A-R-T-A, on Twitter or on Instagram. Instagram, I've just recently, within the past couple of months, have been posting a lot of pictures of the horror films and genre films that I've been getting mailed to me and reviewing on sites like Fresh Fish TV and the Ditton Record Chronicle. Um, I also do theatrical reviews and things of that nature and interviews and that sort of thing. So yeah, you can. Hell yeah. Good. What'd you do? Drop us? No, no, no. My, my earphone fell out. (laughs) My ear hole's too big, which is weird to say. <laughs> Tape my earphones in. I never, I never know what you're, never know what you're doing. <laughs> There's like some, sometimes that we record. I think you're eating. Really? I'm never eating during our podcast. <laughs> Pretty sure you ate like some chips or something at some point. Really? <laughs> yeah. It really sounded like it. Do you listen to yourself, Brian? I do, but I. Uh, Really? Like, I have everything, like, at a table, and, like, there's no food on it. <laughs> Which I don't know. Maybe I'm chewing I on swear, my I swear, like, there was a period where I was talking a lot. It might have been Deep Blue Sea or something, or maybe uh, a little before that. I was talking a lot, and then when it came back to you, you are like, caught off guard, and it <laughs> really sounded like you were eating something. <laughs> You're like, Yeah. Maybe I just like eat my words. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> like sound like John Madden. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> I'll try. I don't think I eat. Uh, I don't remember eating. If I do, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll try not to. No, I think it's great. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, you can find this podcast uh, on iTunes and Stitcher Radio under the Multimedia Men banner. Type in Multimedia Men or Boomstick Comics into iTunes and subscribe to us. You'll find my bloody podcast on there, as well as a few other podcasts about wrestling and uh, geeky-type stuff. Me- and music. music. Yes, the unbalanced note, which is fun. 
which we just did a Jimi Hendrix episode, along with a one-hit wonder called Right Said Fred, I'm Too Sexy, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, find it on Boomstick Comics, HighDefDigest.com, and FreshFiction.tv, the best sites in the world. Bookmark them. Uh, we love you, Gwen. I love you, Preston. <laughs> And, and I just I just want to give a shout out to my main man Cliff. Love that guy. <laughs> oh yeah, he's in the other room. <laughs> Can't wait to listen. Oh good. He locked me. He locked me in our bedroom. So hopefully I can get out. Hopefully there's no fire. Well, there's probably a window. Hopefully. <laughs> oh yeah, there are three windows. Thank you. Ah <laughs> uh, well, until next time. Keep it scary. Keep it classy. And keep it fun. We all love you.